Episode 33, Dennis Bernstein, welcome in. And uh, this has been the longest four and a half months of my entire life. Dennis, uh, do you happen to agree I with that? I would totally agree. It's been the long and the short of it. Um, we're, at the, uh, we're at the finish line, John. We made it. Um, pre- uh, postseason's coming up soon. and uh, But let's get to this episode because I'm sure we have a lot to say. Well, you you do know though that it just it's only going to be fitting that these uh, two Kings games in Colorado they're going to be postponed due to snow by at least a day or two, right? Because I mean this season is not long enough, not so long let's enough. let's keep it going. I mean nothing is more weird than up what's going on north of the border where regular season games and playoff games will be taking place on the same day. I mean as if that's not bizarre enough, right? It's totally. I never thought it would come to that, but I, I assume they want to get the season over with, so why not? And those. Look, the two remaining regular season games in the North mean mean absolutely nothing other than statistical stuff. So I, I get it. Let, let's get on to the playoffs and let's move on. They do mean something, Dennis. There's guys that are fighting for their jobs. They're auditioning for next season. Don't you pay attention on these Zoom calls? There are players that are not going to be here next year. That's it. <laughs> That's, That's right. the quote. That's right. From every organization. Um, right. And I got enough, by the way, real quickly, before we get started with today's show, I didn't get anything from you. I expected some witty text uh, to my Daryl Sutter, the Calgary Flames, man. They're just going to park. They're not going to ride. There was nothing from you. (laughs) You're over the season? (laughs) The record speaks for itself. Daryl came in, riding in on his horse from Viking, and the horse took a crap all over the arena. That's what happened. (laughs) Great. Thank you to all of our listeners in Calgary. Let's get started with this episode, DB. It's a fun one. It is episode 33, Sans Willie Mitchell, uh, but it's still a good one because we are coming to you live from the uh, hot, warm, sticky uh, Southern California studio named Brian Muir Studio. Does that name uh, mean anything to you, Dennis? Brian M-U-I-R? Yes. Yeah, wasn't he a defenseman? Uh, he was actually yes he was not the famous sculptor who created the darth vader helmet that is a different brian muir of course there's been a lot of weirdness happening lately i don't know if you noticed this db but the kings gave out their uh jerseys off of the players backs the other night at the final home game which we'll get into in a little bit and uh artie moreno was one of the winners i'm assuming it is not the same artie moreno that owns the angels because he could buy all those jerseys he doesn't need to win them off of the back of the players you know jay let I went with PJ last night. We have season tickets as you do, and and we sat in seats. And I entered it in the um, in the jersey off the back contest. I said, like they know you're my wife. There's no way yes. ever you're going to win anything. Just deal with it. Redraw. Exactly. <laughs> oh, <whoops>. so, out. 
Let's go. <laughs> right. Here we go. Uh, so, yes, not the famous sculptor who created the Darth Vader helmet, but a different one. Yes. Uh, Brian, here's some interesting notes for you, though. He is uh, he was a left handed defenseman. He's 47 now, though. So I don't think he'll be one of the targets the Kings will go after in the summer. Oh, he uh, he played it. <laughs> he played. Yes, he played at the University of New Hampshire, though, which has a tie into uh, longtime Mayor's Manor writer, uh, the stud that he is, Andy Tong. He covered the Monarchs back when he was going to the University of New Hampshire and uh, watched the Monarchs win a championship there in their final year. So not during the same time period. Mm -hmm. Brian played there many, many years before, but uh, he played 279 NHL games. He won a cup with the Colorado Avalanche. That's the tie in sort of here to the uh, final two games, DB, back in 2001 with the Avs. He did join the Kings via Manchester. He played most of the 03-04 season in Match Vegas, but he did join the Kings for a couple of games. Uh, didn't score a goal or anything, but here's the thing. When he was in Manch, Bruce Boudreaux was the coach. Mike Camilleri was a player. George Peros was a player at that time on that team, and so was Richard Seeley. And for those that don't know, Seals is the general manager of the Ontario Reign. So it's a, a long and uh, a lot of dots there that so are connected. Dots, John, you put in so many dots. So many dots. But yes, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take a break from uh, all these dots as we get into the summer. We're gonna have a lot of uh, connections to future additions to the LA Kings roster. That's what we'll be talking about a lot during the summer, Dennis. But uh, on today's show, we will do some recap. We will also talk about injuries. We'll talk some statistics. We'll talk about an anomaly where a hat trick and a Gordie Howe hat trick was scored by the uh, same player in the same game, which is not something very common. And uh, we also have the fan reaction to the Twitter polls that we did the other day for the LA Kings team awards that the media votes on and whatnot. But uh, Dennis, let's get, let's get started on it right away. The final Kings home game took place yesterday. We're recording this on Tuesday. Yeah. So on uh, Monday night at Staples center, the final home game of the year, any parting thoughts on the Kings and the blues? I can't wait for next year. I, I think to me, that's, um, that game was an exhibition game, John. I mean, mm -hmm. when I was watching it, it was an exhibition game. It's good to see Kupari getting a lineup and, and players getting more time. But to me, that was just basically an ex a glorified exhibition game. Uh, but, you know, maybe it was me, and I'm going to look it up with respect to how many people attended last night. But to me, it, it seemed like it was the most people in the building since they've started bringing fans back. And it was good to see. And, and the fans that I talked to and – I will say this, God bless our fans, because they keep coming up to us and thanking us and, you know, supporting us. Um, they're excited about next season. So um, so that, that that's my biggest takeaway at this point in time. And I think this, yeah, that was the law. It's 2154 was in the stand. So that's what was reported as attendance. I think the previous game was 2115. So people, um, you know, they, they can't wait for next season. I can't wait for till we're all in the building where it's not 2,000, but it's 15 or 17,000 with no mask on. I really can't wait for that. So it was a fitting ending. Nice gesture from the team to raise up their stakes and a nice little speech from Kopi to say, hey, look, next season's going to be banging here. So I think people are excited. I think that um, they ha they're optimistic. And it was uh, a nice, it would have been nicer to go close out with a, with a victory, but it was, uh, it was a nice evening. But I just can't wait for, for the fall. Now, it did it did seem like and I don't have the uh, official numbers in front of me, but if I remember correctly, uh, every game since they opened it up to bringing the fans back on April 26th, each game had a little bit more in the building than the game prior. But I thought McClellan was breaking some news last night in the uh, postgame press conference. He claimed that 20,000 fans were going to be there on opening night. So I don't know if Staples Center is going through an addition. They're putting in some more seats or what's going on. But uh, no, I, I, I just uh, I joke and I, and I tease. 
Uh, it'll be the 18,000. I think it's 18,174. I know they made an adjustment a they couple of years ago and added a yeah. couple hundred seats. I think it's more than that now. So maybe it's like 18,500. But uh, who knows? Maybe they'll pack 20,000 in there. Maybe Todd knows something that we don't. He usually does. I just think it's um, great to see fans, you know, getting the routine of coming back in. Cheeseman and everybody have done a great job making the feelings. I, I felt comfortable. I mean, to me, I, I wouldn't wear a mask. I'm fully vaccinated. I understand why that is at this point in time. But again, hopefully, I think June 15th is the, is the target date for us to really be, get wide open here in, in L.A. and California. So so hopefully things will be normal next season and hopefully some moves will be made. We'll talk about that over the summer, maybe in this episode as well. And it should be an exciting season. John, it's got to be an exciting season next season, Frank. <laughs> Uh, well, let's say this, Dennis. The world, I firmly believe, the world is going to look greatly different by the time training camp opens up, not only because of that June 15th date, but we're going to start to see buildings and events that are more full than they are right now. Summer concert season is coming. Concerts are already going back on sale. Right. Uh, you're going to see a lot of those happening in August and in September. There are some even some big shows planned at some of the stadiums and whatnot. And yes, I know those are outdoor events, but those are sort of the precursor right. to bringing more fans into the building exactly. indoors. And I think we're even going to see uh, full buildings in a couple buildings throughout the NHL playoffs. So things are going to start to feel a lot more normal here over the next couple of months. Um, that, that certainly is for sure. And yeah, we have a, a lot to talk about. Uh, so Kings of the Podcast listeners, LA Kings fans, don't go anywhere. We'll be around all summer sure. for you. We'll be talking you through all of the moves that the Kings will be making, talking about making, thinking about making, probably will be making, and then we'll do the breakdown after they, of course, make those moves. And there should be several of them because you have the expansion draft, you have the 2021 NHL draft, you have development yeah. camp, you have the free agency window. The Kings should be active on the trade front. They have a lot of prospects, draft picks, and cap space to spend. So we'll talk about that as well. Um, my final couple thoughts, DB, would be that, you know, while it was great to have Quentin Byfield up for those six games and there was a lot of excitement, you could just feel feel it, uh, not only from the fans in the building during those six games, but online, social media, sure. the activity. People loved getting a look at Quentin Byfield. And it's sort of interesting because you, while most fans couldn't go to Kings games all year and you were forced to watch them on TV, you could have seen a lot of Quentin Byfield this year if you had the AHL TV right. package and you could have been streaming those games and you could have been watching them surrounded by a lot of LA Kings prospects. I think that's different than trying to ask Kings fans to watch a junior game of, you know, the Niagara sure. Ice Dogs and, and that, where they don't have a connection to those players. But you would have been watching an Ontario Reign team full of LA Kings prospects, including Turcotte and Kaliev, not only Byfield, but so many other players. So I think the Kings fans could have had a connection. But it is interesting that a lot of them, I'd say, I feel the majority of them, hadn't seen Byfield all year, probably right. hadn't seen him Agreed. since the World Juniors. Right. So to see him in an LA Kings uniform, it meant a lot to them. And uh, it, it's... It's sort of been interesting to watch the momentum of bringing a guy like Kapari in who, for whatever reason, doesn't carry the same sort of excitement from the sure. fans. They, they gravitate towards the first round picks. You know, people wanted the Turcotte pick. I put out a big article explaining why there were six guys mm -hmm. that could have been called up, including Kaliev's leading the team in points, leading the team in goals. We'll talk about that later, Dennis, but right. people were more excited <laughs> to get. Turcotte up, and I think a lot of it has to do with that cachet of being totally a first-round draft pick. Yeah, yeah, top five pick. You want to see him, and and he's progressed as well. But look, I get it. And it, John, when it comes down to it, it we're talking. This is really insignificant. Whether it was yes. somebody playing five games or six games or whatever the case may be. Yeah, you want Quentin Byfield to get the taste of the NHL play. And I was excited to see him, and I just love the way that kid moves on the ice, just his game and how aggressive he was with his forecheck, and just you, you could see. You could see the star potential in him. So, but I think in the big picture, whether it was Kaliev or Turcotte or Kapari, 
it's inconsequential. I think now we're pointing towards next season. So it's great that this kid got a taste uh, again, Kapari, because he was up for a couple of games. But in the grand scheme of things, it really didn't matter. I think you'll agree with with respect to who was that final claw. Well, I'll say I want to add a couple yeah, points please. to that. The one thing that was of consequence with the Byfield call up was the way that they originally planned on using him was to sort of get the, the way the schedule was going to go is they were going to give him an opportunity to see as many teams as possible. So he was going to get a couple games there in a row with Anaheim and then sort of like one sure. in the uh, series with uh, Arizona, one in the series with right. Uh, Colorado and whatnot, but because of the injury to Blake Lazat, it's sort of, they had to pivot slightly, but either way, regardless of that, the point that I was getting to is I think the one thing that was important was to give Byfield the opportunity to see a team like the Colorado Avalanche, as well as giving him an opportunity to see the Anaheim Ducks. It's one thing mm-hmm. to see a team that has young players that's sort of in a similar uh, area of the growth chart, if you will, to the LA Kings compared to seeing a top of the food chain team like the Colorado Avalanche, because over the course of 82 games, you're going to see a mix of all sorts of strength of teams next season. And so I think that game really was important to open his eyes and and, and really give him a taste of what he needs to work towards this summer. Not that there were questions about his work ethic, but it's always good to give those young players that. And then about Kapari, and I think people will, if they want to, they're going to try to find a negative in this. And I don't mean it that way. Uh, the injury to Blake Lazat, I believe, did perhaps change sort of the course of direction. I think that Turcotte would have been more likely to get the call up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have been a nice reward for everything that he's been through this year. He had a phenomenal World Juniors, and he had a couple of injuries. He battled back. Uh, he even came back early at one point from injury when they thought that he was going to be out longer. And Turcotte said, because I wanted to show my teammates and I wanted to show the organization, um, you know, that I'm all in type thing. Right. Uh, and and he's had a phenomenal second half of the season in the American League. We'll get into that when we talk about the points. I think uh, Turcotte would have been rewarded with that call up. And uh, unfortunately, they did need a center. People say, well, wait a minute, Turcotte's a center too. Yes, but they needed more of an experienced yeah. center. And so don't discount the fact that Kapari has a year more of pro experience than Turcotte. And I think that's going to give a guy like Todd McClellan, who tends to, you know, appreciate that experience like most head coaches do. I think that's why they ended up going with Kapari. It was a positional need, basically. It was a legitimate, like, roster positional need. It was. Yes, they needed a center, and they wanted that experience. Again, Turcotte could play center, Akil Thomas could play center, but Akil Thomas would come in and probably get, you know, sort of swallowed up, if you will, just because he doesn't have that experience. Um, But this is a kid who's going to wear a letter probably next year in Ontario. They absolutely love Akil Thomas. And for those of you saying, well, wait a minute, why is he wearing a letter in Ontario? We'll get into that, DB. There are only so many roster spots. You can't have seven kids in the lineup next year. People have to pick which side of the fence they want to go on. Do you want to go all in and play all the kids next year? And do you want to bring in Turcotte Kaliev, Thomas, etc., and load up with, you know, six or eight rookie forwards? Or do you want to try to win next year? And if you do, then you slowly sprinkle in those kids. So a, a lot to talk about there. But uh, Dennis, as we look ahead here to the uh, final two games, anything besides the snow, anything that you're looking for in these uh, final two games? We might see Cal Peterson back to back. We might get to see Troy Grosnick, Jonathan Quick still on the sidelines. Just uh, any any bullet points heading into the two-game series in Colorado? No injuries, please, please. And witness because these games are still important to Colorado. They could still mm-hmm. conceivably win the division, so it's going to be a major test going on the road. I think emotionally, it's going to be tough for this team to to go play meaningless games in Denver. So maybe you play the younger players a little bit more than the older players, um, because guys like Kopitar and you know Ayafalo. Uh, they may not be feeling it, John, to be honest with you. And they're allowed. I mean, these are totally meaningless games. They're meaningful for that. So I'd like to see, you know, maybe you give a Gabe Velarde 18 or 19 minutes. Maybe you put him in at the 1C. Mm-hmm. 
and give him say, hey, by the way, like here's a you know, here's an opening. Here's a glance at next season. This is the expectation. And as much as I've been critical of his production, he has been a better player. Like even points aside, he's been more of an impact player over his last few games. Now, the one thing I'll say, which will get me in trouble, John, is we saw this last season. Right when the games were meaningless, he scored. And same thing here. There, there was a, a defining moment when the Kings fell out of it. He started playing better. Like so, to me, I, I'm having my reservations about. You know, he looks better on the ice. His attitude looks better. A lot of things. But to me, it's like, damn, where was this two months ago when they were still in the race and they could have used him and he didn't score in 23 games? To me, but again, that's what I would do if I was taught. I'd give Gabe a big time run in these last two games because they're going to be meaningful games for not just him, but for the competition. All right. So I'm going to give a response to that then, Please. Dennis, because I have a theory and we'll never know the truth on this, but I do have a theory of why you've started to see a better Gabe Velarde. Yeah. And it's not the same theory that was being floated post game last night, which was the Alex Iafalo effect. Right. Now, certainly Iafalo has helped. Sure. There's no denying that. And Iafalo is proving now what everybody has been saying about him for many years. And that is that people like to play with him, yep. that he makes his line mates better. He does the dirty work that a lot of guys don't do. And he's just a very easy player to play with. And Gabe talked about that in the post game last night, but I'm going to tie it back to this sure. tennis it ties back to jeff carter and it's a similar thing that they talked about last year with uh, adrian kempe and kopitar that these younger players put these mm -hmm. superstar potential yep. players not potential excuse me these superstar players on these elitist pedestals even though the kopitar is not yep. that way but they're they become very different uh differential they, differential yep. and and that you saw you know it's funny because i think back to luke robitaille wearing the captaincy during the 93 season and, and that's the year that robitaille had his best year when gretzky was out uh with the injury and he scored like 68 goals, 29 on the power play or something. I mean, they were just absurd numbers. Yeah. And Robitaille wore the captaincy that year. And it, because once you take that, uh, that type of a player off the ice, off the bench, away from the team, guys that want to win and really good players then have to step up. And I think there was something going on there between Gabe and with Carter. And you just saw... It was the best thing for both people. So this yeah. isn't a criticism oh, no, of Jeff no. Carter. I get your point. Totally. All, all Jeff Carter, have a great time. Score a bunch of goals in Pittsburgh. Kings fans, you should become <laughs> the biggest. You should become the biggest Pittsburgh Penguins fans right now. Not second because you go. love Jeff Carter, but yeah, if you can get that third rounder to go to a second round right. pick, that's phenomenal. So Pittsburgh to the final. If you're a Kings fan, and for Jeff to play in half the game so that that third round becomes a second. But Carter has sort of been reinvigorated, and it's kind of the same thing. I mean, you wouldn't say that. Velarde was dragging down Carter, nor would you say Carter was dragging down Velarde, but there is something to be said that when you get those veteran type players away from those young kids, it sort of yeah. releases the shackles a little bit and it gives them a sense of calm. It gives them confidence. And then you double down on that by putting him with Iafalo and giving him a fun player in Leas Anderson sure. who can really inject some energy into a line. We saw it in Ontario all year where he was a point per game player. I think that plays into this as much as putting Iafalo on his line. So um, I'm point. all for it. Yep. Give, give those give those kids some extra minutes, ratchet back the minutes on some of the other players. Uh, that line has certainly been effective, like you said, Dennis. So uh, so why not there? I think it'll be interesting if Troy Grossnick gets a game as well. I know that Cal can handle going back to back, but to me, why would you tax him? Why would you put the fatigue Agreed. on him? People say, well, he has the whole summer to rest. Yeah, that's true, but you're still not answering the question. Sense. Why? What's the point? What's the why point? does exactly. why does Cal need to play in both games? If anything, throw a bone at Grossnick and say, hey, look, man, you've done everything we asked of you this year. Right. You were taxi, you were AHL, you were NHL. You never knew if you were coming or going or what you were doing. And, you know, you what did he get in? One NHL game, I think, yeah, this year? one. Yeah. Thanks <laughs> and for very few. Here's your, here's your prize for another game. 
Yeah, I could. Yeah, my, we, there's no sense in playing Cal back to back. There isn't. Absolutely. Well, not. <laughs> unless you want to. We'll have to see what. We'll have to see what Todd wants know, to do uh, with that. DB, there are a couple of injuries they're nursing through. We mentioned Lazat. Uh, Quick is out. Uh, Dustin Brown shut down for the regular season. Hope that he gets the uh, treatment that's needed over the summer and comes back strong next year, uh, even if he doesn't come back on the top line, which we can get to. Uh, Sean Walker, uh, injury, missed practice today. I don't think it's that big of a deal. If they're calling it day-to-day, -day, probably right. just really a maintenance day. Give him a chance to get on the plane without getting, uh, you know, going on the ice. Sure. We'll have to see what happens tomorrow. But uh, they do have two other defensemen that are healthy, that are traveling with them. They have uh, Christian Willannon and they have uh, Curtis McDermott. You could put either or both of those players into the lineup, for that matter, in either of these two games because of the reasons that you mentioned, TV. Yeah, and I think we'd get a situation where they'd actually put Curtis McDermott in the game and nobody would complain. This would be this would be a safe haven for Curtis McDermott. I won't have to hear about how he's an eighth defenseman and he can't skate and stuff like that. Let him get back in the lineup. Give him one more game. John, is he even with the organization next year? Really tough to say, DB, because he will be exposed in the expansion draft. I don't, of course, think that yeah. he would be one of the players they would target. There are other uh, players that are more likely to go to Seattle. Um, however, you have to also wonder what his trade value is. The New York Rangers were very interested in him mm -hmm. uh, in recent years. You know, could they circle back? Obviously, been a lot of changes with New York, but that type of a player is still appreciated really more in the Eastern Conference than the Western Conference, per se. Uh, there could be some trade value there. It could be an opportunity where McDermott could get a little bit more playing time mm -hmm. uh, with another organization. So don't really know, other than this, DB, uh, for him next year to make the team would be very challenging yes. because this year he was the seventh defenseman. We talked all about this so many times on this program. They had a plan for 7D. He was the seventh D, and they were going to rotate the Clegg spot with Bjornfoot. Uh, once Bjornfoot took that spot for sure, that just made it even harder for a guy like Clegg to get in. Yep. But Clegg, Strand, et cetera, they were able to get games uh, due to some injuries and whatnot. Where I'm going with this, Dennis, is you could really right now say who the who next year, who the 7D are, um, because the, I mean, let's just do it then. You, yeah. you, you're going to assume they make a trade or a UFA acquisition, but they're going to have an LD1 along with Dowdy. Right. Then they're also going to have Roy, Bjornfoot, Mikey Anderson, Sean Walker, and you have Mata. Those are your 7D right yep. there. Now, if you move Mata, you could carry McDermott as a 7th D, um, but that's also assuming that you're not going to get any help from uh, the AHL, you mm -hmm. know, or you can have a younger player Emerge. who might have uh, found a way to graduate. Right. So, and who knows? Maybe they could even get two. Maybe, maybe they just don't like the mix and they end up getting 2D. Sure. Maybe, maybe in the player that they acquire in a trade, Maybe for salary cap reasons, they have to take right. a second player back on. I mean, now you could get in, you could really go round and round on this because maybe a guy like Walker has to end up moving in the trade sure. in order to acquire that LD1. Yep. So yep. it's not it's not a linear conversation. It becomes very much a, a white rabbit hole conversation. <laughs> deep, deep, deep rabbit hole. But to answer your to answer your question, if I had to guess, I would say 60% chance that he's mm. with the team next year um, just because of a numbers crunch, right. not because of him. And uh, at the same time, you do have to wonder, this team is going to continue to work young kids into the lineup over the, the next couple of years, oh, Dennis. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, so, so who's that player that's protecting them? I mean, is it Brandon Lemieux? I don't know. He certainly doesn't have the history that McDermott has because he's come up with a lot of these impressed. kids and he's so well respected yeah. by his teammates. I don't think yeah. news added much. I mean, I see getting the scrums once in a while in front of the net, but who's he protected since he's got here? 
Um, you, me? <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, tell you what, let's hit on two quick things, DB, before we take a break. We have a lot to cover in the second and third period. Sure. I do just want to talk statistically for a moment. I think the scoring race is pretty interesting. Uh, of course, Andre Kopitar has all but wrapped up the points race. Drew Doughty is 16 points behind him for the team lead, and uh, that would be an incredible two-game run some, if some he was able shot. to tie. Yes. <laughs> it's, uh, as Chick Hearn would say, I think it's in the refrigerator and the eggs are chilling or it's jiggling done. or something. I don't know what they're doing, but the eggs are getting cold or warm or whatever um the the points race is all but over but the goal race is still very much alive uh dustin brown has the goal lead at 17 he's not playing adrian kempe 14 goals he's sitting right behind him i mean he'd have to get three goals to tie him uh, dennis how amazing would that be though if somehow some way adrian kempe was able to get four goals in these next two games past dustin brown and, and someone's going to tweet us and tell us when, but yeah. it certainly seems like forever ago before a player that's not named Jeff Carter or Andre Kopitar or even Dustin Brown led the LA Kings in goals. Uh, Adrian Kempe has an outside shot. It's a little bit of a long shot. He's three goals back with two games to go, but still, it, it, it's a talking point. Dennis. Imagine if me and you went in the time machine back to G December and you told me that Kempe was on the verge <laughs> of leading the team in goal scoring, right? <laughs> right. It's, that that would have been some it's conversation. Wild. It's wild, DB. And look, beyond that, you have a, um, in the goal race, you have a a, a tie, a two-way tie. You have Ayafalo and Brown, who are both sitting there with 13 goals. So even if Kempe doesn't pass Brown, Alex Ayafalo gets one goal. He's tied for second. He gets two goals. Alex Ayafalo could finish the year second on this team in goals. And, and look, I don't want to hear anything about, oh, it's a 48-game season, it's this, it's that, or whatever. They all played the same number of games, yeah. roughly, Dennis. They were all in this together. Yeah. So over a collection of a roughly, you know, 56-game uh, season, if Alex Ayavalo finishes second on the team in goals, that's quite the accomplishment for AI. Yeah, I think if you projected over 82, it would be, what, 22, 23 goals, something like that? Yeah, he's right in that, in yeah, that, that's, in that mark, that's, yeah. Look, the guy's, the guy's a productive player. He's not the glamorous player, but he's a productive player. If he's going to put up 50 points, and again, Jordan, we could talk about if there really is going to be an LW1 in their future. But if he's on the second line producing 50 points, like, mm -hmm. you should make the playoffs. I'm sorry. Like, that, that's that's the key. So I, I think he's very productive. He's never he's always going to be an underrated player because his style, he doesn't have a big shot. He's not glamorous. But I think he's a very productive, smart player who you mentioned players like playing with him. This is the He last is the Matt Roy of forwards. And, DB, <laughs> that leads me to my other comment here. Matt Roy or Alex Ayafalo, these are two guys that you could potentially see with Team USA at the yeah. upcoming World Championship. So many players are turning down the opportunity to go, rightfully so. It's been a, sure. one hell of a year for all the things that these guys have had to go through. And I'm not sure anybody wants to sign up to go through it again, but it's a great opportunity. You go and play for your country. Not only is it a perhaps a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but it could also be a situation where you're building relationships for the future, maybe for a future Olympic team or whatever. Matt Roy, steady Eddie on defense. Yeah. The Kings, or excuse me, the uh, the U.S. could do a lot worse than inviting Matt Roy to play defense and Alex Ayafalo to play it forward. Especially when you only play 56 games. Maybe you would like to get some more games in, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. and some of the, I agree that some of these guys emotionally, if you listen to the... I was on the Flyers call today, and they talked about Carter Hart and all the challenges of... Of playing through COVID, so maybe these guys just want to just, you know, tune in, tune out, just go home, chill, whatever they're going to do. But for some that still want to keep playing, I advocate for it. Hey, real quick footnote on that. Uh, Panyota and I were texting back and forth earlier today following the Flyers one. It sure sounded to me like AV is probably on the way out. He disagreed. Where do you land on that? Oh, this year? No, he wants to come back. So I don't. I, it, he sounded spent to me. Oh, he is totally spent, John. Yeah, yeah. I don't think yeah. he's going to quit though. I think he's making too much. I think he's owned like he's owed fifteen million dollars. 
on the Browns, the okay. Browns contract. So he's not, but yeah, he was totally up. He, he said he couldn't wait to be in a normal building with no mask. And so I'm sure that when we talk to Todd, I'm sure part of that will be conveyed as well is that these coaches, no practice time, wearing a mask, all the protocols. It's just been <laughs> DB. Todd was over Zoom first during, day during camp. I know, first day, first time he was done. Like, what the hell is this? I'm sure, but uh, yeah, no. Av was spent. He he was really took. And plus, the team was so crappy the last six yeah. weeks that just yeah. that that's impacted it as well. For sure, DB. Let's wrap up the first period here. Great uh, opening segment here. We'll take a quick break. We'll hear some music, and we will come back in the second period and talk more LA Kings hockey right after this. Period Kings of the podcast. Uh, welcome back, and Dennis. When we were, uh, leave, when we left off there in the first period, we were talking about the uh, scoring race going on with the LA Kings. Let's just quickly hop over and talk about what's going on with the Ontario Reign and that scoring race. I made mention earlier that Arthur Kaliev leads the team in goals and points. So at 28 points, he's four better than Akil Thomas, and he's six better than uh, Kapari, who of course is not going to add to his totals. He's going to fin- Kapari will finish out the year with the LA Kings with their two remaining games. Kapari can rejoin the Kings for the or, excuse me the uh, the rain for the playoffs. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, and Kaliev with his 13 goals leads the team three better than Akil Thomas, seven better than Rasmus Kapari. Uh, the interesting thing is when you go to points per game, because Turcotte has only played 31 games compared to Kaliev and Thomas who have played 38 Turcotte's points per game at 0.65. He's among the best uh, points per game. Uh, excuse me, uh, 0.68. He's among the best points per game on the team. You actually have Kaliev at 0.74 a game, uh, and you have Kapari at 0.71, and then you have Turcotte at 0.68. So he actually finishes third if you go on a points per game basis. Turcotte has really been effective. He's a lot like Byfield in the sense that when you look at his numbers over the course of the season, if you kind of throw out the first 10 games where they were adjusting, and then you look after that, boy, they've been pretty phenomenal. Meanwhile, Kaliev has been the model of consistency and uh, I, you know, shameless plug here, but if people have not read the article recently on mayor's manor, where Robo John Robleski, the coach of the rain was talking about Arthur Kaliev, you really need to go in and read that because we've had Nelson Emerson on a number of times. That's talked up. Uh, he agrees with me that the passing game of Kaliev is very underrated. Everybody just reads the headline Kaliev, you know, sniper. He's way more than that. But if you read the Robo comments, he talks about his 200 foot game, his commitment to defense and how structurally sound he's been. So he is not the player that a lot of people tried to say he was coming into the draft uh, and or he's made a tremendous amount of improvements already in his game so far. So good on Arthur Kaliev. The Ontario Reign do have just a couple of games remaining here, DB. They're going to play in Tucson. And what's interesting about their remaining two games in Tucson this coming weekend, 
Byfield, he's probably on his way back to the AHL right now. Of course, the Kings will send out the press release while we're recording this, but Byfield back to the American League. He's going to practice for the next couple of days, play the final two games on the road in Tucson is what I'm told the plan is. Uh, Martin Kromiak, one of their uh, prospects from the 2020 draft, recently signed in uh, Ontario, came over from Europe, quarantined. He's uh, made his debut. He's played a couple of games, looked really strong in the first game, had a breakaway, almost scored. Uh, Be very interesting to see what happens with him. And then Tyler Madden, who had this vicious, nasty hit earlier in the year, should have been a suspension, in my opinion. Just a terrible, terrible hit on Tyler Madden. Uh, He's been sidelined all year. Everybody thought, you know, wouldn't see him again until next year. He has recently started skating. He's actually practicing with the team this year. And Dennis, from what we understand, he is uh, on track to play another game, possibly two. Oh, that would be fantastic. Can't even believe that, that Madden would be able to get back into games if you've seen that clip. And if you haven't, just go to Mayor's Manor, look up uh, the Ontario Reign lineup, and every game day when we post the lineup, we have an update at the bottom of the projected lineup where we have the link to what's going on with Madden. So those two games will take place in Tucson. Those games actually do have consequence, believe it or not. This is going to sound weird, Dennis, but all seven teams in the Pacific Division are going to play in the uh, AHL postseason tournament. They're doing like a college-type tournament where all seven teams are going to play starting next Tuesday. The tournament kicks off in Irvine. Um, I plan on being there. I'll cover it. We'll talk more about that later. But uh, the the rain, depending upon if they win or lose and if Colorado wins or loses and Tucson, every team sort of has a couple games left. The rain could play any number of teams in the opening game. They could play either Tucson they could play Colorado, less of a chance that they could play San Jose. But essentially, it's a one-game win or go-home type thing. So on Tuesday, they'll have to win whoever they play. If they do win, they would come back on Wednesday of next week, and they would play a second game. And if they were able to win that game, now they are officially the fourth seed. And then they would advance and most likely play Henderson in the first round, the Henderson Silver Knights. And that would be a best-of-three uh, series that would take place in Henderson. And then if they were able to somehow get past Henderson, the number one team in the Pacific, then they would play for the Pacific Division Championship, uh, which is also a two of three series, which would be the winner of, uh, who do you have there? You have uh, Bakersfield and San Diego, most likely as the two, three seeds. So they would, whoever comes out of that. Dennis, what I'm hoping for, best case scenario, would be for the rain to advance on one side of the bracket and for the goals to advance on the other side of the bracket. And then I'm going to heavily lobby the AHL. Forget the best two of two out of three. I want a seven game series, maybe even longer (laughs) because the goals and the rain, it's basically agreed upon by most of the people that cover the American league. That is the best rivalry right now in the American hockey league is the goals and the rain. I don't need a three game series. I need a best of seven of those two teams, right? The baby Kings against the baby ducks. I mean, that'd be phenomenal. And we get some hockey to continue this thing here in Southern California. It's like May madness, AHL may madness <laughs> there you go. to get See? into the final. I'm going to, I'm going to include that in the marketing pitch. When I get a hold of, uh, is it Scott Housen? Who's the, who's the new, uh, it, yeah, Scott. Yeah, David I Andrews agree. retired after 50 years running the American league. And now they have a new commissioner. So, uh, let's, let's petition that to make that happen. Dennis, uh, it'll be, it'll be fantastic. Absolutely. One final note on the prospects before we get to your tweet from last night where you and I were getting into it. Uh, people have been asking what's up with the prospect rankings because I had teased yeah. that they were coming out. And then I just happened to look at the calendar and go, what's the point right now? Because the season is almost over. Let's just save that for sort of off season content. So I can let everybody know that the rankings are done. They have been done. They were done. Um, not only the top 10, but also all of the honorable mentions, everything was done prior to the trade deadline. 
So, uh, which is normally how we produce them right before the trade deadline. Uh, so we will go through, we'll update a couple of the stats and whatnot, but the scouting reports are there. We've already talked to all the coaches and the GMs and the scouts and uh, teammates and gathered all of our information. And so we'll put all that together and we will start posting the uh, traditional Mayor's Manor prospect rankings here in the coming weeks now that the LA Kings season will wrap up here in the next couple of days, Dennis. Looking forward to that, John. So, like, nobody does it better than you, bud, so can't wait for those rankings. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, now, you put out a tweet last night. Let's talk about that. Um, there's a lot to build off of this tweet because there's summer content connected to this. But I'm going to read this for those that are not on Twitter. I don't. This must be like seven people in the world not on Twitter yet. But uh, for those of you that are not on Twitter, Dennis put out a tweet. says, so if the Kings are set at center, and then you listed the wingers, Brown, Iafalo, yeah. Kempe, Moore, Double A, Anderson coming back, uh, where are the open spots in the top nine? Um, so again, at center, you know, you would be talking about Velarde, you'd be talking about Byfield, you'd be talking about Kopi. Uh, uh, thank you. <laughs> Kopitar, can't forget him. And then uh, the there's three, and then at the wingers, you'd be talking about Brown, Iafalo, Kempe, Moore, Double A, and uh, Leas Anderson. You could throw Rasmus Kapari in there as well. Okay, and, 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 and before you start, I'm going to yeah. assume, like you said that they're going to bring back Double uh, A, probably on a two-year deal, right? I want to talk For about two I want the, to talk about that, though. Okay, go, well, then, all right, then start, because that's my that was my premise. So where do you fit all these these players in the jigsaw puzzle? Yeah, so, so what I said was that uh, if they're serious about winning next year, I don't see all of those players being in top nine roles, first of all. I think a couple of those guys, although they've been asked to play in top nine roles this year, I think that if you're a winning team, you might be more inclined uh, to... To not be a top nine player and uh, Trevor Moore would be a perfect example. And now I know people are going to freak out because the Trevor Moore fan club is gaining a lot of steam. But if this team adds somebody on the top line to play up there with Kopitar, and if you just look at the second line of late, and if you can visualize a, a Leah Sanderson uh, line with Velarde and with uh, Aya follow, and now you start to put your third line together and you go, okay, who's on that line. Right. And you have uh, mm -hmm. Byfield. Um, who else do you have on that line, Dennis? You, um, Anthony, see you. Well, okay. Here's the thing on Double A. Let's just get into that right now. Then the the, okay. the thing on Double A for me is, I think he's a nice complimentary player, and I just think that people are over evaluating what he brings to the team. We said earlier in the year he's a better version of Wagner, right? Which is why you don't need Austin Wagner and Double A on the no. team. So to me. He's not a top line player. Like everybody got all excited when you see him up with Kopitar and everybody looks at that one no, no, no. breakout year that he had in Detroit. I, I see him as a third line player and they have a ton of thir third line players. So if you needed to spot duty him and put him up on the second line, fine. But to me, he's probably more of a third line player than a, than a top six player. That's my take on it. Yeah. Well, I agree. My point is though, here's my point, John. I, I see more and Anthony see you as a third, a third line wings. Mm hmm Right, and then if you have Brown and I follow on the top, and you have Kempe, and you've got a spot for one player, like second line right wing. And if you think Leas Anderson is the chemistry, so what happens to everybody else? Where, where do you put these guys? Okay, I'm going to give you my rough lineup, and then just know that uh, yeah, yeah. we have like yeah. we have multiple May 11th, <laughs> We have yeah, multiple we shows to go over this, and right. and I will May detail 11th. it. In, you know. Uh, a lot over the summer on mayorsmanner.com. Sure. But here's sort of how I roughly penciled things out. Uh, somebody at left wing one, it could be in the right player. It could be right wing one, but basically mm -hmm. Kempe, Kopitar, and another player. That is your top line. Second line of Ayafalo with Velarde and Anderson. A third line probably of Moore, 
Byfield and Brown and a fourth line of double A with Jod and then somebody at right wing. And what I what I made note of is that in order to accomplish that sort of a lineup, not only are you going to have to acquire uh, the top line player, but you also are going to have to figure out what to do with Wagner, Grundstrom, Lemieux, Lazat. Yeah. And then you also have to figure out how are you going to get Kaliev or Turcotte into the lineup. Right. So they, that's my question to you, John. Well, yeah, but that, that's the key. But look, in that lineup that I just gave you there, Dennis, you you already have Byfield in the lineup and you have Leas Anderson. Those are two, you know, they have two players that haven't really played a complete full year in the NHL, right? Right. Uh, Leas did play the majority of one with the Rangers, but you know. Then he went back, and so you, you almost have to discount that because it was it was a while ago. Uh, but if even still, you're talking about Gabe Velarde, Leah Anderson, and Byfield. You are playing the kids with that lineup, and there's an open spot on the fourth line right wing. Now you could move more down to the fourth line, yeah, and that creates double A Jod and more, which is a great fourth line. And then you could put a Kaliev or a Turcot or somebody else when you wanted to bring a kid in. And, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and again, you still have to figure out what to do with Wagner, Grunstrom, Lemieux, and Lazat, you know, assuming that those aren't the players that are going to be picked in the expansion draft. Right. So you, you think they're going to sign Anthony Sioux, though? I, I do think so. Um, however, to me, it wouldn't be that heartbreaking if they don't. I think, it's, I think it's great if they do, because I think he's, a like I said, an upgraded version of Wagner. He can score. He can... Uh, you know, he can play third line, he can play fourth line, he can play a little bit of second line if you need to. But just when you look ahead and you look at all those kids that are coming, it all comes down to if they get either through trade or UFA, if they get a top six forward. Because if they right. get a top six forward, to me, he becomes more expendable. Not because sure. of not because of the yep. player that he is, but more because they have so many players in the pipeline. They have so many players. That that and that was my original point. Like you if you're going to make assumption, you're going to bring some players forward and you're making an addition from the outside somehow, like where does this, where does this all fit? Now, here's my point. So you've got Kempe as the top line left wing next season, correct? You could play him right or left side, but yeah. Top. Yeah. Line. Okay. Would you entertain trading him at his highest value right now? Well, I would. And here's the re I, I don't like the idea, right? I don't like the idea only because you've invested so long to see this player develop and you're finally getting there. However, you have to give to get. And so just like we talk about with Sean Walker, yeah. don't want to trade Sean Walker, but if you have to trade a roster player, a, a roster defenseman, defenseman, defenseman right. in yeah. order to yep. get yep. a defenseman, I got you. you're really only talking about one of two players, Dennis. Let's be honest. Right. If you're talking about a roster defenseman, you're talking Mikey Anderson or Sean Walker mm-hmm. because the Kings yep. are not trading Bjornfoot, Bjornfoot they're not trading yeah. Roy, and they're not trading right. Dowdy. So... Right. Who, and, and, and Olimata, with all due respect, which whenever you say that means, you know, you know what it means, but Olimata doesn't have the trade value that you're going to need in order to acquire that. So to, yeah, to send back a defense. Even if you're doing multiple, multiple assets, two, three players to acquire somebody, right? You could have to mm-hmm. trade, a, let's just say, a Dursey, a Walker, and a second-round pick. I'm just making this up to yeah, get yeah. the defenseman, right? Um, right. You're only talking about Mikey Anderson or Sean Walker. And and I yep. defer to Sean Walker and say that's the player that I would trade because you have Brock Faber who's coming up who's going to be solid on the right-hand side. So if sure. you get a left D, what I'm envisioning is a world where down the left side you have player X along with Bjornfoot and Anderson, and on the right, right. side you have Dowdy, Roy, and uh, Faber. I mean, to me, that's your that's your six in your six. three years from – two years, maybe three years from now. Yeah. So yeah. – um, if you had to trade a Mikey Anderson 
you damn well better make sure that the player that you're getting back in return is a legitimate LD one, not yeah, an only Mata. minutes a night who can produce. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Agreed. And it's not just a, a pure defense. It's got to be that, that hybrid of the guy who's able to defend and produce. I wouldn't even do it for Vince Dunn. Okay. So I know that they explored no, the Vince no. Dunn deal. I'm talking about, no. you better make sure that the player no, that you're getting gives you more than just points because Mikey Anderson is part of that culture rebuild, right? He's the player that the young players gravitate towards because he's a gym rat. He's a leader. People lead, you know, he leads on the ice. He leads off the ice. He's composed. He's a professional. He's everything that all these young players need to be. And um, look, in less than it wouldn't be, look, it wouldn't be Shea Theodore, but it'd be, it had to be someone like maybe a, a tick below. Okay. Right? Because you know, so, so that, that, that's the type of player. John, I agree with you. Other than that, then you stay with Anderson and be, I mean, and, you, and I agree with you on beyond for it, but you, you'd really have to get a legitimate 22 minute a night defenseman there. If you're going to make that. So move. here, so just to circle back and close the loop on this DB, uh, because we were talking sure. forwards. I think with double a, what you do is that you sort of gamble a little bit, right? You sign him to the deal. You could wait this out because he's an RFA and you could wait till the qualifying offer. And you actually, you, could, you, you don't have to qualify him. him technically. If I, my memory serves me correctly, you don't have to qualify him until after the UFA window. So, you could have already really quote unquote made your roster moves before you had to worry about signing him. But if you wanted to do some early, early housekeeping and get it done, you could sign him to a deal. It's a two year deal. It's low money. It's, you know, it's one seven, five, it's 2 million, give or take, you know, a quarter mil. So it's two years at 2 million each. Um, You wait and see what happens with the trades or with the free agent signings and what you do. Uh, And if you had to put him on waivers, at the, uh, you know, in training camp because you just didn't have room for some reason. Then if somebody picks him up, great. It was just an insurance policy that you carried all summer. And if somebody doesn't pick him up for whatever reason, DB, he's a great injury uh, protection guy. He's a great insurance policy to go put in the American League until you call him back up mid-year because you always need a player to call up from Ontario. Um, And John, he might have trade value because he's proven. He could. He's proven he could. Look, he's got 10 goals in 39 games or 40 games. Like, that, that's like on some other team, it, it wouldn't be a bonanza to be getting back. But I think that as opposed to waving, I think you could make a call to a couple of teams and they probably would take them because uh, they, they shown that with better coaching in a better system, he's not a minus 46 guy. You, okay. I see your point. And yes, you're, you're right there. You're right about that. Um, the, the fact that they have so many guys under contract, I know makes it, yes, it makes it yes. a little bit difficult to sort of roll the dice, but I don't think with a player like that, you're rolling the dice like you would be with, a Blake Lazat or, you know, some sure. other players that might be perennial fourth line players. He has a little more juice than being quote unquote, just yeah. a fourth line player where I'm going with all of this Dennis is that I see people online that are freaking out. Like they have to get the deal done with double a. And I'm like, no. what's the hurry, right? Because <laughs> if you're Rob Blake on your list of priorities, you know, your top two priorities are clear one a and one B get a top six forward no and get a top four defenseman. Now, Right. There's another thing to be said here, Dennis, and that is that the Kings are in no hurry. The fans are. You might be, yeah. but the Kings are in no hurry to get a deal done because they know that they're in the driver's seat. They have the prospects. They have the draft picks. Yeah. They have the cap room to do it. They're going to attempt to get a deal done or deals this summer, whether it's UFA or free agency. They're going to need to make at least one move to give some juice it going is. into next season, but they don't have to do the second deal right now so if the deal isn't there they do it at the draft you you do it at the draft you do it at the trade deadline you don't even have to do it before training camp opens you wouldn't even do it before no i'm saying you have to do one you have to do one 
Okay. But I'm saying yeah. you have to you can't do nothing you, because right? you don't you're not in a position where you have to overpay now. You can yeah. you can wait it out. Right. You can wait teams and out. And here's why, John. Like the the division next season, mm -hmm. other than Vegas and um and Edmonton, which I assume John, I'm going to say it. I'm going to write it. There's no excuse that they can't get to the three seed in the division next mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. You got you got Colorado, Minnesota, Arizona, and St. Louis leaving. You've got Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, and Seattle coming in. Mm -hmm. Come on. you got to make the playoffs next mm -hmm. year, and I think they could get a three seed. they they got to be close to that, John. I just think that, you know, the time for patience, I get it with respect to this offseason. You can't be patient next season. Right. You can't. It's got to be the best. I, I totally agree with you, which is why I'm saying yeah. you could make both moves now, and that really sets you up going into the season. But if you only made one move and you still wanted a little bit more time yeah. to sort of suss out what you, you have, you could do that knowing that by the trade deadline, you're going to add, right? And you do, and Blake has shown he's an early trader too. So he's not going to push it yeah. to the deadline. If he, if he makes a significant ad, it's going to be in January. Probably he's going to find the person that he wants. He's going to go out and get it. That's what he did when he was moving guys. He knew what the price was he was looking for. And when a team right. hit that price, he was willing to sell. So I think he would be the, the same in reverse in terms of going out and getting his guy. He would target who he wanted and they would go out and they would close well, that deal. Okay. So let's play this game. Would you rather? Sure. If it was just one move, John, would you rather the forward or the defenseman? I'm going to go against what the team would tell you. Um, they're laser-like focused on the defenseman, and I would probably rather them get the forward. Uh, and, and the reason I you. say that is I just think that the kids aren't quite ready to jump into that role yet. I don't want the yeah. Kings to start the year with Ayafalo, Kopitar, and Brown as the top line. I just don't want it. I've seen it. I know what it is. I want to see something different. I need there to be some 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 energy, some juice, some, <laughs> no pun intended, whatever it is injected yeah. into that group. And you can't just reshuffle the deck and go, oh, okay, the second line looks good now with Anderson and Iafalo and Velarde. Kempe is up with Kopitar. You, to me, you can't just put Brown there and say that's your top six. It, it, they need to do something in the top six. That's yeah, why I, I would pick that. What would you do? And, and and look, they're 24th in scoring. They don't have a second unit power play. Like, And you look at this team's record, John, this team, when they've scored more than two goals, more than two, they've lost two games in regulation all season. <laughs> like, the defense is fine. The penalty kill. What, what's the one strength of this team right now, John? The penalty kill. Like, bingo. Right? So, to me, I guess you could add another defenseman. But if you're going to get better from Anderson, if he's going to gain some weight and be, you know, a little bit more uh, uh, grow into his body a little bit more and beyond foot's going to do that likewise, you can get away with that. If you have to make one move for me, it's scoring, John, because this team, it's just a struggle every night. And I don't know what you do. You need another threat. I'm going to give you another you reason, another too. Good job. The idea of getting another top six forward, Dennis, relieves some pressure off of Velarde and off of yeah. and off of Byfield. Okay, yep. Byfield is eighteen years old. He's going to be a great player. He's exciting to watch. It was great in the six game, Dennis. Eighty two games is a grind next year, and you Good don't point. want Byfield to crumble under the weight of the world like we saw Velarde do mid season this year. Take some of the pressure yep. off of Velarde. Yep. Take some of the pressure off of Byfield. I'm so tired of hearing it's about win now. The rebuild is taking too long. It's been four years. People, you're not looking at calendars or something. No. The rebuild started in December of 2018. It's not been four years, okay? It's been two seasons, and they had to tear it down. They're rebuilding it up. It takes time, patience. It's going to happen, Dennis. Uh, but, yeah, to answer your question, I, I would go with just one player. If, if, if and, had to and I forward. will say this, John. Look at Minnesota. 
Look what one player did to Minnesota. They were a boring-ass average team. Now, I'm not saying you can go out and get a player like Kaprizov, but you got to get another threat, another guy that when he goes on the ice, we have to defend this guy. That's the one thing about this team, John. When they defend L.A., they never say, okay, we have to stop. This. We have to look out for this guy. Like, Kopitar's not that player. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a facilitator. They need to get that type of threat to say, okay, we have to account for this guy either on the power play or on five-on-five five because that's what's killing them. If they had a better offense, they'd be in the postseason. You look at the goal differential tonight, John. I think it's 16 for L.A. and 10, minus 10 for St. Louis, mm-hmm. right? It's because they couldn't score goals in big spots for a long stretch. So yeah, I, I couldn't I, I couldn't agree with you more. I agree with multiple moves, but if I if I had to, I would go get the offensive players. Yeah. Now that being said, Dennis, typically offensive players are a little bit easier to find because just by the sheer numbers, there are more of them. Right. So of uh, I understand why the organization, you know, there there's a very very specific ask. It's a left side defenseman. It's a guy who can chip yeah. in offense. It's a player within a certain age range. Like it's not just look at all of the defensemen across 31 teams and take, right. you know, it's a very, very specific ask. And for that reason, I can understand why they have to be careful on how they sort of use their assets to go out and get that. But sure. uh, Dennis, we have months, we have weeks, we have a long time to talk about all this. Um, we might have years. We, <laughs> hopefully not <laughs> hopefully years, not. but uh, <laughs> let's, let's take a quick break because I do want to get to the, the fan polls. We had our, our listeners that weighed in on what they thought the LA Kings award should be this year. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll do the awards. Well, you wonder why I always dress in black. Why you never see bright colors on my back. And why does my appearance seem to have a somber tone? Well, there's a reason for the things that I have on. I wear the black for the poor and beaten down. Living in the hopeless, hungry side of town. I wear it for the prisoner who has long paid for his crime. But he's there because he's a victim of the times. Now wear the black for those who never read. Or listen to the words that Jesus said. About the road to happiness through love and charity. Why do you think he's talking straight to you and me? Well, we're doing mighty fine, I do suppose. In our streak of lightning cars and fancy clothes. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the mayor. Okay, Dennis, did you get a cup of water? Are you okay? We all cooled yeah, off now? Who needs a stinking <laughs> guest, John? Forget <laughs> Willie Mitchell. This is great. All right, so uh, let's get into it here. We the, uh, the media members who cover the Los Angeles Kings are honored and privileged enough to uh, vote on the annual media awards. There also are some awards that the team itself, the players themselves, uh, that they vote on. So like the Unsung Hero Award that Trevor Lewis seems right. to have won every year for 10 years. Um, that is voted on by the players. I would assume that this year that probably goes to like somebody like a Blake Lazat or maybe a Matt Roy or maybe an Alex Iafalo even. I'm not sure, but we'll find out who the players uh, picked for that award. There are four, though, of the season-ending awards that the media votes on. And uh, we had to turn our ballots in already, Dennis. And I've said on this yeah. program before and on Twitter for many, many years, this is one of my favorite days of the year because you and I get to argue, and we've had some knockdown, drag-out arguments about these awards in years past. And uh, this year, I said, what the hell? Let's open it up to everybody uh, that's out there sure. in the Twitter world, and let's create some polls, and let's see what they thought, and then we'll give our opinions here as well. Uh, so, Dennis, num- question number one. 
the LA Kings MVP. And I, I don't recall, but I don't think that there's a big disclaimer of any type that goes into this award. It's just any player on the roster that you right, believe right. is the most valuable player. Um, because Twitter polls only allow you to have four players, uh, the Kings don't give you a ballot for this one. It's just a blank box. So, um, right. you know, I apologize if I didn't put your favorite player in there, everybody. But I, the four did that you I put Trevor Moore in there. I, I, I did. Because <laughs> there's a lot of Trevor Moore love. You, you mentioned that. <laughs> but I didn't. Out of nowhere. I didn't know what to do after Kopitar and Dowdy. Like, I mean, like, who were the third and four? And I didn't want to just put right. two players out there. So I did put right. Trevor Moore and I did put Dustin Brown. So uh, you had four players to select from uh, people. It was Andre Kopitar, Drew Dowdy, Trevor Moore, Dustin Brown. I'll be honest, DB, I thought the race in this category was going to be a little bit closer. Uh, Mm -hmm. My selection was Andre Kopitar. Your selection was Andre Kopitar. And the fans, 80% said Andre Kopitar. What surprised me is they basically just split the remaining 20% between Dowdy, Moore, and Brown. Um, Kopitar, the runaway winner, DB, at 80%. He was the rightful winner, but what do you think about that split? A lot of disrespect for Drew Dowdy. Right? Right? I thought he had a redemption season. I guess not to the fans. Who knows? But yeah, that that's surprising. You would think it would be 80, 18, 1, and 1. But maybe even maybe so even 65 for Kobe. Like, I mean, give Drew a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, you yeah. know, it was like that was insane. Well, I think that plus you know, some reasons he buys the thousand point thing. Probably yeah, that's true. Well. That's true. Everyone's everyone's riding the Kobe wave right now, so that's true. Okay. Uh question number two. And whew, Dennis, there was uh here's the funny part about this. Uh you and I didn't disagree at all, which made for a very boring conversation Monday we're morning. Like, we're like an old married couple. <laughs> that's right. No, we, we know each other too well at this point. Um in years past, I mean we would have gone back and forth for hours about oh, this yeah, one. But sure. uh the funny part is that the fans really got into it on this one. So question number two the best LA Kings newcomer. And before I read the names here, I want to mention that Trevor Moore was not included in right. this category because the team disclaimer, the LA Kings team, mm-hmm. this is different than the Calder. Okay. So when you're voting on the Calder, they have to have played uh, uh, or they can't have played a certain number of games in order to be eligible the following year. Like last year, Gabe Velarde played uh, in some games, but he was still eligible for the rookie of the year award this year. So the, the cutoff for these team awards, it's 15. Trevor Moore played 15 games for the LA Kings last year. So he was a newcomer last year. He wasn't considered a newcomer this year. Gabe Velarde was considered a newcomer this year. However, I did not include him in the four because uh, in the initial responses that were coming back from fans, Velarde wasn't getting much love. And even after I put the poll out, people weren't clamoring for that as well. So it it is sort of interesting how it played out. So uh, question two, best LA Kings newcomer, four people to select from and the Kings ballot had, I think eight people on it, Dennis, if I'm not mistaken, but anyway, the yeah, four that were in the poll were Mikey Anderson, uh, Jared Anderson, Dolan, uh, double a and Bjorn foot. And it came down to Mikey Anderson and double a. And I was shocked Dennis at how close the race was. Mikey Anderson at 42%, double a at 34%. Uh, uh, Jod came in at uh, 17%, uh, Bjorn foot at 6%. But man, Dennis, double A, you and I, like the minute the question was asked, you and I both said Mikey Anderson. We didn't even hesitate. Yeah, 34% for double A. He was right on the heels of Mikey Anderson. That's a testament to a guy. Look, they they took a gamble on this guy. He signed, what, two days before training camp, right? Officially. Bad reputation. Yeah. yeah, Bad bad reputation came in, you know, not a team player. And he really, a great reclamation job by AA came in. 
played defense, was more responsible on the side of the puck, still showed his scoring touch. So look, good for him. Good for him that he and he earned he, whatever contract he gets, John, he earned. But yeah, for me, I agree with you. I, I didn't I didn't blink. No. It's it's Anderson. He <laughs> just acquitted himself. He's playing top pair 21 minutes a night. I mean, how do you? That's why I was so yeah. confused, Dennis. Like, OK, you can love double right. A all you want. You can be happy for him and you could. I mean, but really, like you guys like scoring that much. I mean, this is a, a third play, a third line player, basically. Yeah. You know, yeah. When he was on the second line with Jeff Carter, that was the no, that was the line. third line that really was masquerading as the second line. But whatever. The point is, Mikey Anderson, from, from a, an importance to the lineup, you look at the minutes that Mikey played on a no nightly question. basis. And after just, what, five games, I think it was, four games, he was moved from the second pairing to the top pairing, and basically nobody was able to wrestle it away from him. I mean, I, I don't know. I just he, he played some very significant minutes to me. He did. He would have been the best newcomer. But uh, I guess in the end, the fans got it right, 42%. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, if you want to go back to question number one and, and, and the disrespect that was shown to, to Drew Doughty there, I guess hats off to Double A for the respect that uh, the fans showed him here, giving him 34%. Of the vote. Now, this next one, Dennis, question number three, L.A. Kings most outstanding defenseman. This one is fairly straightforward from a voting perspective. It's always question four that throws people. So we'll just deal with this. Right. Most outstanding defenseman. You're a blue liner. Um, I picked the Kings top four defensemen to put as the four players in there. So that's sure. why you didn't have McDermott, Mata, uh, Walker, etc. So it was uh, right. in alphabetical order. Mikey Anderson, Toby Bjornfoot, Drew Doughty and Matt Roy. And Drew Doughty received 69% of the votes. Mikey Anderson, 13%. Here to me was kind of the shocker, Dennis. Matt Roy, 15%. So he came in second, okay? But then I was reminded that Matt Roy won this award last year, Dennis. Right last year. He yep, won he the award. It, a seventh-round draft pick, Matt Roy, beat out Drew Doughty for the most outstanding yep. defenseman. I don't know if that says more about Matt Roy or Drew Doughty last year, but that's in the past. 15%, he came in second place, but uh, like you said, uh, a redemption year for Drew Doughty, 69%. Dennis, I think you and I agreed on this one as well. Yeah, the, the normal state of things. Drew Doughty should be the best defenseman on the team every year, mm -hmm. and last year was a testament to Matt breaking through, and like you mentioned, being, you know, and he, I think he was drafted 194th, and he, plus he is also nominated for the Masterton this year with the uh, PHWA nominated him so because of, you know, he had concussion when Fiala hit him dirty and then COVID. So and the fact that he was a seventh round unheralded pick. But yeah, the, the match can be the second best defenseman on the team every season to choose on the contract and not worry about it. So, yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's back to normalcy. At least there's one point of this is one data point of normalcy. Drew is the best defenseman and was the best, best defenseman. All season. You know, it also got me to thinking about something relative to Matt Roy and the fact that we were working to get uh, Willie Mitchell, perhaps for episode 33. And that is, I would never say that Matt Roy is the new Willie Mitchell because he's not, right? Mitchell gave you a little bit more right. offense, but offense, he's right. kind of playing the Willie Mitchell role because he's right now, he's not the Rob Scuderi, right? Um, he's, yeah. but as a steady Eddie, as that calming influence, he is more Rob, uh, excuse me, he is more Willie Mitchell than he is Rob Scuderi. And so, kind of interesting to think about that, uh, at least relative I, to this episode. Yeah, I think there's more physical schools, skills in Matt. That would make him more like Willie than Rob. To me, Rob was like the, you know, I'll use a wrestling term. He was like the cerebral assassin, mm -hmm. right? To me, Rob was just smart. Like he was the old, Triple H? Out of position. Yeah, he was, <laughs> I guess. Okay. No, not really. Yeah, but no, but to me, he was a very cerebral player. Like, you would never put, like, Rob Scuderi on the top pair, but he did play with Drew a lot. Mm -hmm. So, to me, that that's, to me, I just think there's more talent, and that's not a disrespect to, to Rob Scuderi, but I think Willie was the more talented. Yes physical play yeah 
Yeah, I just so, thought it was I, interesting I because as yeah. you as you look forward, this team, you know, you hear people say it, and we've even said it, I think, at times, you know, this team needs a Matt Green. This team needs a Willie Mitchell. This team needs a Rob Scuderi. And I was sort of thinking about that, and I was going, you know, Matt Roy is like probably one of those few players that actually is closer to one of those guys than any of the other players they have, right? Because Walker, Bjornfoot, uh, Mikey Anderson, they don't really fit the mold of any of those guys. They're their own players. Would you think that Mikey can turn into a Scuderi? No, no. Scuderi's, no. Scuderi's too physically sort of imposing. He's, uh, my, um, Scuderi played a hard game. Not, not, not the way that Robin Regeer mm-hmm. played a physical game, but Scuderi was mm-hmm. a, okay. a hard player. And I don't think of Mikey as a hard player. He's a smart okay. player. Certainly is a very, yeah. very smart player. But uh, yeah. Okay. So okay. anyway, that was question number three. Most outstanding defenseman. Life returned to normal. Drew Doughty won the award. Um, the next one is, is, the, is the award that I think, Dennis, always creates the most debate every year. Yes. Uh, probably unnecessarily so. Um, or, you know, it wasn't probably designed that way. But it's the LA Kings best defensive player. And this basically is open to any player on the roster. And I think in the past, if I'm not mistaken, we've seen a goaltender like Jonathan Quick has won the award. We've seen a defenseman in Drew Doughty. And we've also seen forwards like Andre Kopitar uh, win the award. So it's really all over the board. And so because there are so many players on the team and there are only four spots, I combined a couple of guys that I thought probably wouldn't finish in the top one or two. Uh, and if they did, I was going to do a secondary poll and like kind of have a runoff, if you will. So I had Anderson and Bjornfoot put together as just one in case people felt that one of those guys was the best defensive player. And then among uh, the other side, I had Ayafalo and Peterson. So a goalie and a forward. I put them together and just, hey, do you guys like you know one of these players? Uh, each of those two uh, hybrids, Frankensteins, whatever you want to call them, uh, picked up about 10% roughly. It really came down to two players. It came down to Drew Doughty, and it came down to Andre Kopitar. And again, I found this one interesting, Dennis, only because you and I so quickly agreed, not that we were right, but you and I so quickly agreed that Kopitar would be the winner for this award. That's who I voted for. That's who you voted for, I believe. Um, yes. But the fans, in, a, in the closest race of all four of the uh, the, the polls, they gave it to Drew Doughty. Doughty received 41%. Kopitar received 37%. So uh, what do you make of that? The best uh, all-around all defensive player going to Drew Doughty this year? I can see it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think Kopitar was, when anybody, when any forward plays 21 minutes plus a night and is out there in all the special situations and preventing goals in the last minute, you're going to have, look, you're going to have both. If you're protecting a one-goal lead, it's a defensive zone face-off. You got both guys on the edge. Mm-hmm. So you could split hairs on this one. I, I thought Kopitar had an excellent, not just offensive season, but also defensively. I think people might look at his plus-minus and might factor that in. But for me, it would have been Kopitar. But I, I get the logic with Drew Doughty. Yeah, I don't, I'm with you. I don't really have a problem with it. But I am. you said something earlier that had me thinking. Because I picked Kopitar. Uh, you picked Kopitar. And I'm wondering if that Kopitar recency bias that you mentioned earlier, if it plays into this here for some people, or I'm wondering if the collective media ends up going the way that the fans did in this poll and they end up giving it to Drew Doughty. So I'm very interested in seeing when the team does release it. Now, normally they release the team awards um, during the last home game. At least that's the way I always remember it because they announced the award winners on the ice when they're doing the jerseys off the players' backs. They didn't do it. So I'm assuming that PR is going to release the award winners 
here in the uh, the final game, which will be game two in Colorado. So we'll have to talk about those. It's a good point about doing it, announcing it when the jersey's off the bat because they didn't do that. Right. The last home games, so maybe they're just deferring to the end. I, I guess you could. So I guess we'll find out. I mean, they have to release them at some point. So you either release them, you either release them on the last game or you release them the day after. Yeah, I text you earlier. I go, John, they didn't, <laughs> they didn't actually put out the awards, did they? Did I miss it? And he goes, no, no, you didn't miss and, it. And John Gomez, I know you're listening. Uh, you know, King's PR stud who just is, just been phenomenal. What a great addition to the team. Uh, yes. Gomer, you, you can uh, rest easy. I did not text you and, and ask you uh, what's going on and why those weren't released because I have an, enough questions <laughs> for you. So I was, I was monitoring or what is it? What do you call that? I was um, throttling my questions. And so, you know, I, you were rationing. Yes, I was out. rationing them out and I, I didn't want to daily max on the number. Of yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to uh, want bombard to you. I just, I assumed, which Todd has warned me not to do, but I assumed that when you didn't do it at the last home game, I assumed that you would be releasing the winners soon. So, Dennis, in a week from now, if they have not released the winners, then, uh, Gomer, I will be texting you to find out what is going on. Don't assume, John. Let's go. (laughs) Well, what was so funny about that is that he was actually right because I said to him that I was assuming you're not going to go back with this again. And then he was like, well, don't assume. And sure enough, he did go back to it again. So, uh Yes, one of my one of my favorite Zoom quotes this year. Uh, we used to do the the favorite Daryl Sutter quotes at the end of the year. Yes, this year we're going to have to go back and uh, capture all of the, my favorite Todd McClellan uh, Zoom quotes from the year. So, uh, Dennis, one more quick thing here before we wrap up today. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in and uh, enjoying us ramble on for uh, here for an hour on our on our Kings of the Podcast episode thirty three. I'm just curious. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about the expansion draft. We've briefly touched on it at different points throughout the year and we will certainly do it leading into the july 21st expansion draft seattle will become available uh, excuse me the team players will be available for seattle i'm just curious i put out an article uh, here recently which were the uh, la kings protection list power rankings you can look at that on mayorsmanner.com you can see a full list of all the players that are not included and the majority of yes. the king's players are exempt from the draft which is great right um I am projecting that the Kings will protect Cal Peterson, which means expose Jonathan Quick. I'm projecting that they will protect Dowdy, Roy, and Walker as their three defensemen, which means that Kale Clegg, Mata, McDermott, Strand, etc. would be available in the draft. And among the forwards, and this is really where I wanted to ask you a question, Dennis, I had, uh, for their seven forwards, I have Kopitar, Ayafalo, Kempe, Trevor Moore, Double A, Leas Anderson, and Dustin Brown as the seven that they will protect. And people keep saying, why are they protecting Dustin Brown? He's 36, 37 years old. He has one year left on his deal, blah, blah, blah. Hey, man, they tempted tempted fate once. They exposed him to Vegas. They got away with it. They didn't take him. I don't think you want to do it again. He's at the end of his career. You want to make sure that he retires as a king. And also, uh, you look over the other list of candidates, uh, you know, who would you rather protect? Carl Grundstrom, Blake Lazat, Austin Wagner? you know, at the expense of, you know, leaving Dustin Brown exposed. I mean, if nothing else, it's a nice reward for him at this point in his career. And you're talking about fourth line players that you're protecting. And again, goes back to what we talked about earlier, DB. Dustin Brown is leading this team in goals this year. So (laughs) in the 1% chance that the Seattle Kraken take him, that's yet another hole (laughs) that they have to fill in their top six or top nine. So DB, that was my question for you is, among the forwards, do you dislike any of the seven that are selected there? And do you can you build a case for one of those guys to get bumped out and instead to protect Grunstrom, Lazat, or Wagner? No, for the reason you just mentioned. Like, it's not about the guys on the list. It's about the guys who are off the list. Mm-hmm. And you, you can't, like, and I agree with you, John, it's a 1% chance, but just it sends the wrong message. Mm-hmm. 
Like you don't you wouldn't like the possibility of that ending with Dustin Brown in Seattle next season. Like no, you don't want that. That's the wrong sign for the friend. It's it just wrong. Mm-hmm. It, it's it, and if you're a free agent going there, like oh wait a minute, this guy played here for 16 years and then they put him in in the expansion draft and now he's playing in Seattle. Do I want to? Do they really care about their players? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know it won't happen, but for me, that's the emotional side of me because obviously you, you and I both connected to this player and he means a lot to both of us. But yeah, I, I think if you my that's what my heart says. My head says that the players that you mentioned. No problem. No, it's 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 not a regrettable loss if one of those players were picked. Yeah, and that's really what you, I think you said it there, Dennis. That's what it is for me. Like, I, I try to remove the heart and only think with the head. I try to be objective, and I look at this and I go, okay, yeah, fine. Maybe they're not going to protect a thirty-seven-year-old. And people go, well, they didn't protect him in, in the Vegas draft, so there's no way they're going to protect him now. Totally different time and place. Uh, Rob Blake had been on the job for all of about two weeks, I think, when the expansion draft took place. The draft, the uh, the list was largely put together before he arrived. Yes, he had control of the list. Dustin Brown was at a different place in his career versus where he is now. As I said earlier, 17 goals, leading the team in goals this year. A team that's desperate for offense, trying to get back there. One year left. The messages that you talked about. And then I just, I look at the other hand because it's it's you're weighing decision A against B or option A against B, Right. You're telling me that right. it's more important to protect Carl Grundstrom than Dustin Brown? You're telling me that it's more important to protect Austin Wagner or Blake Lazat than it is to protect Dustin Brown? If you're trying to make the playoffs next year, just ask yourself. Forget about age. Ask yourself, who do you need on the LA right. Kings forget roster next age. year? Who do you need on the roster? Do you need? Do you absolutely have to have next year Dustin Brown or Blake Lazat? Oh, Dustin Brown. Dustin Brown or Grundstrom? Dustin Brown, Dustin Brown, or I mean, you can just keep going to the thing and he's Brown's yeah. going to win out every time. So that's to me how he ends up the seventh player. It, and now that people think saying, well, your top goal scorer shouldn't be 36 years old. Like, I don't care how old the guy is. Like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Well, think, next year, he sh- I, I, next I re- year, he shouldn't lead the team in goals. I he mean, should, if he leads the yeah, team in goals next right year, now, then they're right. But yeah, 2021, who but, cares? You know, and then the other thing, John, they would two years from now they'll flip. They'll come back to us and say, "Hey, look, Carl Grundstrom went to Seattle and became a twenty-five goal scorer." Who cares? Like that, that's the that's what I'm waiting for. But that tweet from from uh, twenty twenty-three, like that's that's what they're afraid of. I'm like, you're gonna lose. I don't know, John. You're gonna lose an average. Those players you mentioned, if if they get better, they're average. Look, right? I mean, Carl Grundstrom is not going to score twenty-five goals in Los Angeles. He's not. Because he's if Carl Grundstrom scores twenty five goals in Los Angeles, Dennis, there's a far bigger problem than who Rob Blake protected in the expansion draft. Because the what or or you plan the parade if he's on the third line scoring twenty five goals. <laughs> okay, okay, plan, okay. Plan the parade. Yeah, fine. I was looking but at it a totally different lens. You are correct. You either plan a parade. You're a hundred percent correct. You plan a parade. Or there are some serious problems because Carl Grundstrom was in the position to score 25 goals, which means right. what the hell happened to Akil Thomas, Kaliev, Kapari, right. Turcotte, right. Right. et cetera. That's issue. Right? right. Like, exactly. how is he in the position to be able to score that many goals? And, and, John, that's a great point by you because you forget – people forget, like, all the exempt players from the list. That's why that, you have to read why, that article because you look over the list of exactly. exempt players. If I'm Rob Blake, I look over the list of exempt players yeah. and I go, I really don't care who I lose. <laughs> exactly. But fans don't look at John's graphic with just two players on it and think that's the list. Please don't that was my- read the, that's why John urges you to read the articles all the time. <laughs> I, Dennis, there, there's a feature on Twitter now where when you quote tweet something, it asks you 
like, hey, you haven't read that article yet. The article. Right. I think it should be mandatory. I think there should be like you have to read the article and there should be like a like, you know, those terms and conditions. Like when you're setting up your new iPhone, you have to like click the box. I accept these. I think that before you reply to me or to anybody, when you before you reply on social media to an article, you have to have read the article because, Dennis, there is not a day that goes by that that people don't reply to an article and they ask me a question that's covered in the article or they make a comment that if they had read the article, they would know is not true. So you have to read the I article think it needs first. To be a feature for Mayor's Manners for John Hoven's Twitter account. Okay. That's definitely a feature for your account. Absolutely. I'm going to call up uh, Jack and say, hey, Jack, here's the deal. Um, John Hoven. Everybody, if they click on it, they got to read the comments. It's, it's just, but Dennis, it is disheartening. You spend hours and hours I gathering the information and, and you put it together in a nice, perfectly worded package so that people can consume it and understand it. And then you present it and then they reply. Two words, John. Uh, two words. Yeah. Immediate gratification. <laughs> okay. So, they don't want to take that two minutes to read the article. Or five that's minutes. the thing is, how long does it's it take? Immediate. These are like 750 to 1,000 word articles. How long does it I take know, you to read? It like, it's Maybe two minutes. It's reading, reading comprehension issue. Maybe it takes people longer. I don't know. Okay. But yes, they should. They should click. Don't, don't always look at the graphics. Look at the content that John puts in and takes the time out to, to produce. Yes. The, the idea behind the graphic was, Dennis, that they can protect these, what, 10 players, seven plus, or 11, yeah. uh, seven plus three plus one, so 11 players. One, right. And so we said, of the 11 players they're going to protect, two of them are a no-brainer, Kopitar yeah. and Dowdy. Now, fill in... You read the rest fill, of the article, you'll see the... Fill in the rest, players. right? But, Not fall... I, I, you know, sometimes I don't listen, but I can follow directions, John. <laughs> that was my favorite reply, uh, aggravating and, and favorite at the same time. That was my favorite reply of the entire year. Uh, the person who said, so Seattle can just pick anybody they want off the rest of the roster. Yes, that's how it works. Everybody. They, the Kings are only protecting Drew Doughty and, and Kopitar and everybody else. Uh, Seattle can have whoever they want and as many as they want. It's not just one player. If they want four LA Kings, they can take it. That's, that's, that's how it works in expansion. Now you pay a billion dollars for a team. You just steal from all the other teams as much as you want. Dennis. And we're the, and now John, we're the bad guys. We're making fun of people and they're sensitive. And um, you shouldn't make, and you, we talk down to people. Uh, I'm not talking down to anybody. I'm begging people. I'm on my hands and knees begging. <laughs> Will you please read before you reply? It creates for a better conversation. Because the other thing, Dennis, is not only do I have to reply to them, but that we have readers, listeners, fans, whatever, yeah. that and they, chime they chime in. And then and then there's like two people arguing over something that it doesn't even need to be an argument. Like the answer is in the article. And then you have a bunch of people worked up. So it's not just me. I don't know. I'm going to just maybe okay. turn for the whole summer. I'm just going to maybe change my Twitter feed so that when, cause you know, you could do that when you post a tweet, you say who can yeah. reply. I'm just going to say, yeah. nobody can reply and just avoid all arguments. Okay. Just, just that, that's good. That's you like that's that. Say that's a good strategy. I like that strategy. Yeah. Here's the information. If you want to read it, go right ahead, but don't reply. Here's the thing. We're the Kings of fan <laughs> engagement when it comes to the media. And now we're like, we don't want to now. You know, that's Thanks. not going to work. Dennis, I would do that for like an hour and then I would start shaking and I would have to like, I know come would, on, give me, give me my replies. <laughs> exactly. Where's my mentions? God damn it. Oh, uh, okay. Let's wrap it up. Kings of the podcast, episode yeah. 33. Dennis, great episode. Lots of conversation yep. and about 14 different topics. 
that we can say to be continued because we have yes. more discussion on the future of the LA Kings. It'll be coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Everybody enjoy the final two games. Enjoy whatever happens in Colorado. The scores, as Dennis mentioned, don't matter. Just enjoy those two games. And then coming up next week, you can pay attention to the AHL uh, postseason tournament and the NHL playoffs and DB. Uh, we'll be back soon with another episode, right? Absolutely, John. At the end of the season, we'll do the last two games and then we'll do another one. All right. Have a great week, everybody. Man, I mean, I'm lonely dream. Such a lonely queen. Spend nights dreaming of a fool like me. But someday when you're all alone, I hope these words will bring you home. I'll be your joker, babe, at the bottom of the bed Until your suited game slips away and never comes back I'll be the joker now at the bottom of the bed Waiting for my queen to take me back I'll be your joker, babe, at the bottom of the bed Until your suited game slips away and never comes back I'll be the joker now at the bottom of the bed Waiting for my queen to take me back